The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Men on the face of the earth, Chase Madorsky and Alex Spector. Welcome to episode 26 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. No Alex once again, he is off in parts unknown, which I guess in this case is the West Village. Yeah. West Village. So, like, really close to here. Uh, he's officially a member of the Village people. Uh, he is the construction worker, and JB is the one in the jorts. That's a visual I hope that you all never get out of your head. So, with Sam Beck, my name is Chase Midorski. Episode 26 is a episode that's near and dear to my heart because of the Yankee who wore 26. I start every show with this. Uh, and this Yankee number 26, I would venture to say, to quote David Fleischner, that I am one of... Maybe a hundred people in the tri-state area who own this jersey. Uh, he's a middle infielder who only made it half a season with the Yankees before we traded him to the Padres for Chase Headley. 26 on the Yankees, Yangervis Salarte. You can't miss Yangervis, one of John Sterling's most infamous home run calls. And this is your show, Salarte. Glad to have you. Uh, can we get another 26 for the normal people that listen, if what there are mean? any? What do you mean the normal people who listen? The people who don't have jerseys of Yangervis Salarte? You can't miss Yangervis, dude. Alright, hold on. Let me, uh, let me go on the old baseball reference real yeah, quick. let's see what other, who, who else we can dedicate this um, episode to. Alright. I'm gonna just do it by the good old, oh, no, no, no. I don't want everyone who wore 26. I want 26 on the Yank, no, not the A's. This is shaping up to be an absolute disaster. <laughs> Uniform numbers, baseball almanac. All right, they're usually pretty helpful. Um, 26. 26, 26. Uh, wow. A lot, of, a lot of Yankees who wore a lot of numbers, given how many are retired. Um, the most recent 26 on the Yankees was... Oh, jeez. <laughs> Boy, do I feel like a moron right yep. now. 26 currently on the Yankees, AL MVP candidate, DJ LeMahieu. There we go. It could be the LeMahieu show. Hell, you could have made it the McCutcheon show or even the Tyler Austin show. But me being me, I went with Solarte. Another popular answer. I'm going to actually give you three other popular answers here. Jose Molina hit the last home run at Yankee Stadium, old yep. Yankee Stadium. Eduardo Nunez. Nick Johnson. I hated Nick Johnson. But the guy I should have dedicated this to first for our generation, El Duque, Orlando Hernandez. There we go. But nonetheless, I'm still going to give it to Yanger Vesalarte. I'm dedicating it to everybody not named Yanger Vesalarte that you just mentioned. All right, well, that's fair enough. Some guy, a guy who I think will appreciate Yanger Vesalarte just as much as me is our dear friend Sam Cooperman. Coop is currently the regional sports director at Lock Haven University in Pennsylvania. Sounds right. Somewhere in PA, he's coming off of a two-week stint covering the Little League World Series. We're going to get him on the horn right now. Coop is good, and we're excited to have him on the show. So, Sam, dial Coop up, and let's get him going. Please enjoy this Verizon ringback oh, tone while you're partying. I love Verizon ringback tone. Live for this. You and him are the only ones. Coop! What's up? Coop, so I said this to you before. Uh, first off, I just want to say, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, longtime friend of the show, Sam Cooperman. We're going back. 14, 15 years, uh, when I spent the week with the little SITs at camp, Coop was right there by my side. Uh, we made sure that both of us kept it together. When Coop was breaking or when Coop was broken, I was there to pick him back up. Um, yeah, there, like the, 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 la- 
last three days, there was like one moment per day when I was just completely broken, and and you were there, so that that's a credit to you for uh, kind of knowing that the, the the inevitable would happen, and you, you were there to pick me up, so I'm grateful for it. So one thing Beck just mentioned is we're the only two people we know with the ring back tone, and I've said this to you before, uh, Carl Ravage of ESPN, uh, who did you have a chance to meet Ravage at the Little League World Series? I did not. I didn't want to get in anybody's way, but you know, I was right there with them. Uh, I said hello to David Ross, and I, and I met a few of the the producers at ESPN. But you know, you're right there with everybody. But you know, I'm someone I don't like to get in the way. You know, you, you meet people, and you, you got to be aggressive as far as in this industry trying to meet people to work your way up the ladder. But at the same time, Ravage was calling a million games. I don't think people realize, and maybe you do if you're watching the whole day, how many games per day these guys are doing. The first Friday of the tournament, because there was uh, most of the games on the first day getting rained out, they had to do seven games on ESPN. So Ravage and David Ross, that crew, they were doing half of them. So they're there the whole day. So it is a lot, a lot of work. So I was enjoying the scene, but I saw Ravage uh, up in his perch right atop Lomity doing his thing. And, man, he was working for the week and a half he was in Williamsport for sure. Other than his incredible hairpiece, uh, an icebreaker that you had, uh, which is what I've been alluding to all along, is Carl Ravage has the same ringback tone as both me and yourself. Yeah, we took a little while to get to that one. In hindsight, we're kind of like going through, and it's like, yeah, no, it's a remarkable thing. And uh, my simple answer to anyone that says, why do you still have it? I literally don't know how to get rid of it. If someone wants to tell me how to get rid of it, find me on social media and please tell me because I'm down to get rid of it. But at the same time, I do think there's a different element to it where if someone calls you, it's, it differentiates you. You're, it's a great it's conversation not, piece. It's not exactly a conversation starter. It's not the same thing where you hear the generic uh, ring back and I just, the, I know how I got it back in the day. I back like, like 08, 09 when people were still having uh bring back songs on their phone i have one and i guess when it when it runs out after you purchase it it goes into the uh the please please wait while your party is reached that kind of thing i just don't know how to get rid of it so here we are me you and carl ravage the big three amen to that so coop like sam and myself uh known in throughout the east coast as degenerate gamblers uh so with that said coop before we get into your time at the little league world series a little more in detail uh, we'd like to mention, we'd like to welcome you to our Bavada Sportsbook Pick of the Week segment. Um, and the first game we're going to pick is the Cardinals visiting the Brewers. Adam Wainwright on the bump for the Cardinals. Gio Gonzalez for the Brewers. Bavada has this at Cardinals plus one and a half, minus one forty-five, plus one twenty-five, minus one and a half, plus one twenty-five for the Brewers, minus one forty-five money line. Personally, Cardinals are the hottest team in baseball. Them and the Braves. I like Cardinals plus one twenty-five money line here. Coop, who do you like in this first game? Yeah, uh, the, what's that run line again? You said uh, the money. The run line is plus one and a half, minus one forty-five Cardinals, minus one and a half, plus one twenty-five Brewers. All right, yeah, they're the they're the road team here. Yeah, no, I'm gonna go with the the money line as well. Like you said, Chase, the they're hot, and Gonzalez can be a little erratic on the mound. Uh, he's there's the highs and the lows with him historically. So I feel like the Cardinals they're coming in hot. I like that value. All right, so now we're going to kind of pick and choose because none of these games have direct playoff ramifications like Cardinals-Brewers. So the next one we're going to do is the A's and the Royals. A's who swept the Yankees last week. Uh, Homer Bailey on the bump for the Athletics. Brad Keller for the Royals. Bavada has this at minus 1.5, minus 110 A's, minus 160 money line, plus 1.5, minus 110 Royals, plus 140. Uh, To me, Homer Bailey has turned it around in Oakland. I guess pitching at the Coliseum does that. I'm going to go A's, minus 1.5, minus 110. Coop, who you got? I'm going to go Royals. I I think that uh, the the money line for the Royals is what again? Uh, Plus 140. Good value. Plus 140? Yeah, no, I think I'm going to take the the Royals because they've been a team that, while they've been bad, and and they have been bad, Keller's been a guy where he's not been too shabby, so why not uh, take that value and uh, see where it gets you? Yeah, I'd be a little worried because I would think that he's the grandson of Helen Keller, which does not translate to good pitching, but to each his his own, I guess. Uh, The Dodgers, coming off of... Getting swept by the Yankees in prime time this week. They are going to San Diego to play the Padres. Dustin May, ginger guard on the mound for the Dodgers. Eric Lauer for the Padres. Bavada has this one at minus one and a half, plus 105, minus 153 Dodgers. Plus one and a half, minus 125, plus 133 for the Padres. 
This one, you know what? Padres at home. I think the Dodgers are reeling a little bit. Give me a Padres plus 133 with the upset. Yeah, if I were, I would probably fade this game, but obviously that's not really helpful or conducive towards a pick. I would go with the Dodgers' money line. I'd be a little worried that that run line wouldn't hit. But yeah, the, the, you certainly, while it's not the value play, you want to play with the steady safe play, just go Dodgers' money line and call it a day. All right, and the last one we'll pick because we're Yankee fans. We'll throw out the Yanks. Uh, Hap on the mound for the Yankees. They are visiting the Mariners. Matt Whistler on the mound. Minus 1.5, minus 140, minus 205 is what Bovada has for the Yankees. Plus one and a half, plus 120, plus 175 for the Mariners. I think the Yankees win, but even in Seattle, I think Happ is going to be prone for, to the long ball. And for that reason, give me Mariners plus one and a half, plus 120. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm very, I'd be very concerned about uh, Happ, and uh, I might even sprinkle that money line, but I think that's a little much. I definitely think the, the run line is where you go on that because, like you said, Happ is prone to the long ball, and it just that's just a risky play and when the value slanted the other way and you know that J.A. Happ's very susceptible to that why not so Coop one thing that Bavada has not had uh, checking their lines and I was checking the past week is you could not bet on the Little League World Series um, I guess if you're a kid or if you're trying to bet on a kid's sport that's when you know you're officially going to hell uh, it's right up there with uh, betting against Jimmy Washington in the Special Olympics can't do it um, yeah, I think that's a, that's probably a fair. Uh, you just don't do that. You, that's simply uh, it's probably probably for the best that they they, they don't allow people to, to gamble on twelve year olds. But all that said, what would you say was the highlight of your experience covering the early World Series? Uh, I saw you posted the video of you sledding down the hill. It was an incredible video. Personally, I was waiting for you to fall, tumble, and completely eat shit. It did not, at least from the video, look like that was the case. Tell us a little about a little bit about the sledding and some other high and low points uh, from Williamsport. Yeah, I will say going down the hill is the high and the highlight for sure, and I'll get to all that. But I will say that if when I because I found a really good piece of cardboard, that's key. I was fortunate to find someone that had a nice heavyweight piece of cardboard. If it's too light, you're not going to go that fast. It's a combination of the the cardboard having a lot of density to it and uh, me carrying a lot of weight behind it. It's like finding you the right woman. Horse. You need a little bit of density. Yes, you have that horsepower kind of going down the hill. I did one run where I went on my stomach, and I didn't post that video. But immediately as I'm going, because there's a, you know, there, there's a little uh, road for a golf cart like to go down there, and then after that you're going right down the hill uh, towards the, the end of it, towards the stadium. As I'm starting to go, I'm saying, uh oh, I'm going to go very fast, and I'm going to completely outrun this thing. So as I'm going on my stomach, I was stopping myself in the grass a little bit because picking up a lot of speed. But on your back, I was good. And, uh, yeah, that hill, you can pick up a lot of speed, no question. It is an awesome moment. I got a chance to talk to Elise Johnson, who's a member of the Indiana Pacers, Williamsport natives. He was there one of the first days, and I asked him, I said, what's the thing you got to do when you're here? Wait, to confirm, so, uh, Elise is a man? Elise, yeah. Oh, Elise, like with a Z. Not like my mother, Elisa. It's more like, it's like, it's like Eliza, but Elise. Elise, yeah, no, he's a forward on the Pacers, uh, Missouri State grad, heading to his second year with the squad. But yeah, he's a Williamsport native, so he was there when I talked to him, and he said, yeah, you got to get down the hill. And my little cousin was visiting, so at that point, I was like, you know what, i got to check this out. So one of the days when there were some downtimes in between games, I went down, and it really is remarkable. The, the kids have fun with it, but it, it's such a cool scene, Williamsport as a whole, just that venue. What people don't know is the thing's free. You can go in there. You don't have to pay to, to go to the Little League World Series. There's, I mean, you can pay for parking if you want to park a little closer, but you can park pretty far away. There's a bus that'll take you up there. You don't have to pay for the seats, and it's a good time. It's really an awesome time. It's just the ambiance as a whole. You're there, and you could go to many games in a day, especially if you go to the early rounds. That's kind of how I feel about if you go to the U.S. Open uh, uh, in tennis uh, at the end of August in New York City. You get to go early and you get to check out so much stuff. You really get a bang for your buck, especially when you're literally not paying to go there. So it's really cool. It's one of those bucket list things that's very doable as long as you have a little bit of time to drive out to Williamsport. Now, Coop, let me ask you. You know, I'm, I would say I'm a bit of a schemer when it comes to side hustles and trying to make money. Do you think that I can make money showing up to Williamsport running a sled business? Uh, because it seems like why worry about sturdy cardboard where if I'm – Renting you a sled for a dollar down the hill, that's good sturdy plastic that you're riding down on. If 
you have the highest quality of cardboard, I think you need to get there. You need to test it out. Know that you have the right kind. You need to cut up a lot of different sizes because especially talking about a lot of people, uh, young and old, all wanting to go down there. You have to be prepared. But I think there might be a little bit of promise to that idea for sure. All right. Interesting. And of all the teams you got to cover, I mean, I saw Louisiana. They eliminated our home state, New Jersey. Uh, and what was a pretty crazy series of events in that um, you had a pretty terrible 5-3-5 double play, which in Little League you never see, uh, followed by a two-run error on the daylight play. Um, but other than Louisiana, who won the whole thing, who would you say was the most exciting team to cover? I really enjoyed watching Curacao, which uh, I guess in theory you could think is a little bit of a cop-out because they made it to the finals. But uh, Curacao was fun because they just tested everybody where the first at bat of the little league world series they're playing australia and they they beat them pretty handy it was it was a it was a mercy rule situation but the kid just lays down a perfect bunt and they bunted several times in that inning curacao's whole plan was they got the top half of the lineup they got like four or five guys that are studs including um jerkson profar's younger brother jerdick they got some kids that can really play but then as a whole the team was so smart they'd throw down these bunts and they'd say okay at the end of the day we're playing young kids we're gonna make you make plays in the field and it worked so much so they were able to get all the way through and beat a japan team that was undefeated going into the international championship curacao was really fun to watch you mentioned Louisiana, and just a lot of teams as a whole. I enjoyed watching New Jersey because Yadi Mateo is a stud. That kid can really, really play, and New Jersey definitely uh, embraced Williamsport, I'd say, almost as much as anybody because they started, as it was dubbed, the, the Jersey shake. The kids were just dancing, having a good time. All these kids were out there dancing before the games, and I enjoyed all that, but I'd say Curacao for the team. All right, Coop, my two concluding thoughts that I want to ask you about. Uh, one... You know, I think Elizabeth, New Jersey is a unique demographic within the New Jersey community. How confused would you say Little League fans were in California when they saw the Elizabeth team and thought, this is not what they show on the Jersey Shore? Yeah, I think that just <laughs> most most people in general, they think of Jersey and then they don't realize that, what, out of the seven cast members on the original Jersey Shore, like two of them were from New Jersey. Now, granted, one of them is the situation, but... The, most of the people that are on Jersey Shore are not from New Jersey. Paulie D is from Rhode Island. People forget that. So I think that isn't mentioned enough, and uh, people associate that show, which is great viewing material. I enjoyed it as a kid, and I enjoy it now. But uh, not a lot of Jersey people on the Jersey Shore. They just uh, literally are not allowed back on the boardwalk and seaside because of their escapades. All right, Coop, and my last question, I know what the answer is for me. I think it might be similar for you, but I'm going to go out, go and ask you anyway. You mentioned Curacao bunting to start the Little League World Series. How many times have you been asked to bunt in your baseball or softball career? Well, in softball, it's not really a bunting kind of situation. I don't think you can really do that. In T-League, you can't. We weren't allowed to bunt, right? That's, that's a no. That's cannot a no, bunt no, in T-League. That's no, a big no. you cannot no. bunt in T-League. So I've never been asked in softball. Baseball, maybe a few times, but I'm not – very coordinated. I was never good at baseball, so they, they were just like, all right, get up there. They assume it's an out, and maybe I'll uh, use the old tennis swing and poke one uh, through the right side. But, yeah, I don't think I was asked to bunt much. Maybe a few times, but not nothing I can remember. Well, that's a few times more for me. It was a grand zero in my career, ranging through high school. Sam Cooperman, ladies and gentlemen, you can hear him this fall at Lock Haven University calling all kinds of sports. Coop, it was great to have you on, and we're looking forward to doing this again soon. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Chase. Beck, take care, guys. See you, Coop. Coop is still good, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, what a hilarious conversation it always is with him. And for that reason, I think he's got a real future calling games or, if nothing else, is a circus gnome. <laughs> I mean, Coop is still good, and he always will be good. Uh, speaking of things that were good or bad in the past week, any highlights from this weekend? I know you passed your big test. I'm going to clap into the yeah. microphone. Beck is finally done with his finance test, so he can actually have fun with me now and not have to study. I do have one more. Allegedly has one more. We'll see. I'm going to try to talk him out of it. Uh, anything else fun this weekend? Uh, watch my uh, Canes give a good effort. Almost had him. Not what we wanted, but uh, we're still throwing the U up. That's yeah. right, Chase. 
Yeah. No, this was a uh, interesting weekend for me. I got a fat charge on my credit card for my Yankee season tickets. I got to pay that. Not so much looking forward to that. Uh, the first thing I said when you walked in, so I've had a beard for probably like the past year. At least. At least. Year plus. Haven't been clean shaven probably since my graduation weekend of college. So we're talking June 2018. And I was looking in the mirror. I was working, I worked from home all last week. My boss was in Alaska. If you, if you haven't worked from your couch in your underwear, I, I truly couldn't recommend it more. It's the greatest thing in the world. I'm looking in the mirror. The beard's a little long. The hair's a little long. I'm like, you know what? I think it's time to get rid of it. You know, post-Labor Day, it'll have grown for like two weeks. I'll have some nice scruff. Uh, and then I got down, and the beard was done, and I still had this blonde mustache. And I was like, you know what? This could take me somewhere. Uh, and I wore it out Friday, and I was also wearing the Hawaiian. And I got comparisons to uh, Vinny Chase playing Pablo Escobar in Medellin from Entourage. <laughs> Uh, and my other friend said, you're a pair of aviators away from being Hopper in season three of Stranger Things. Uh, to which my third friend said, if you were wearing sunglasses and starting asking for IDs at a bar, they would think you were a cop. Yeah, 100%. So there's the mustache. Uh, and baseball news bought tickets to the MLB Food Fest coming up in a few weeks down in Bryant Park. Best food from all 30 teams. I'm going with Corey Schwartz, Quinn Crowland, Motley Skatico crew. Uh, the two things I'm going to really have to push myself to try are the Rocky Mountain Oysters from Colorado, uh, which is basically cow nuts. Uh, and, and <laughs> Not basically. That's what that, they they're cow nuts. I'll probably try it. I think if anything's fried enough, you can just give it a go. Yeah. Uh, but the real thing that I'm going to have to push myself for is from Seattle, the roasted crickets. That's like their number one seller. Crickets really gross me out. But maybe I'll give it a shot with enough peer pressure. If they're roasted, I think you're all right. You get in trouble if they're still alive. I but. just don't like to look. And I kind of feel the same way about lobsters. Like, I don't like to be able to look at the animal and have, like, anything resembling them still being alive. Well, the, the cow nuts will probably be good then. Oh, yeah. Then you'll be good with those. Oh, baby. Love me some cow balls. Uh, and you asked me before when I said it was something I wanted to talk about. Uh, you lost. You said you lost a singular flip-flop. Uh, so I went to go yes. see the movie Good Boys, which could not recommend more. I don't, I don't like to do shameless promoting, but go see the movie Good Boys. It's an hour and a half of nonstop laughs. I was a little concerned that all the comedy was going to be in the previews, but it's not. Tons of funny jokes, and the kids are great. Went to go see it at the Kipps Bay Movie Theater. So this is 31st and 2nd, eating at Subway across the street, getting a little bite to eat so I don't have to spend $100 on popcorn. Instead, I'd rather spend $10, get some grilled chicken, get some protein in my stomach, get big, you know what I mean? And it starts pouring. Absolutely torrentially raining. And finally, me, uh, my roommate Andrew, and our buddy Beach, we're like, we're going to just make a run for it. And I get about three steps into the road, and one of my flip-flops falls off. I'm like, crap. I yell to them. I'm like, grab my flip-flop. They don't hear me. I retreat into the subway, regroup for a minute, and go out to get my flip-flop. Go out a minute later, it's completely gone. I don't know if it got swept up by the current, by a car, whatever it was. It's completely gone. So at this point, I call Beach. I'm like, dude, you got to help me come look for it. We look for like 10 minutes in the rain, still gone. So I walk into the movie theater, literally wearing one flip-flop and nothing else on my other foot. People are looking at me like I have eight arms. And I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? You know, no shirts, no shoes, no dice. I already bought this ticket. It's like 20 bucks to see a movie in New York City. I got to get in. So I'm looking around, and a classic MacGyver mode, what got me in is I see the umbrella bags. And I go, I take the umbrella, tie it around my leg, wear it around my foot, Got in, no question. That's hilarious. But I was walking around the movie theater with an umbrella bag on my leg. Uh, people you, were pretty sympathetic, surprisingly. I'm pretty grossed out that you went barefoot in the subway. I didn't. We took an Uber home. In the subway staircase? Took, okay, sorry if this was unclear. By subway, I meant the restaurant. Oh. Hence why I made the grilled chicken comment. I was got eating it. fresh. Got it. Got no, it. no, no, no. If, if I went barefoot in a subway, I would chop my foot off and get 90 million tetanus yeah. rabies and AIDS shots. All the above. All the above. Uh, so that was an interesting experience. And then I went home for the weekend, watched the Yanks beat the Dodgers, two out of three, uh, which I guess is a good, as good of a transition as any to get to the standings. So American League East... We talked about how the Rays were going to have to make their move if they were going to do it this week. Uh, and the Yanks actually got swept by the Athletics to start the week, uh, but the Rays didn't do a ton, so the Yanks are still 9 up, 85 and 47 for the Yanks, 76 and 56 for the Rays. Red Sox 15 out, 32 and a half out for the Blue Jays, whopping 41 and a half out for the Orioles. 
Not a lot to talk about, I think, in the East. I think it's going to be the Yankees and everyone else. Rays are going to be fighting for a wild card spot, which we'll get to in a little bit. And we're sticking a fork in the Sox. Sticking a fork in the Sox. Chris Sale being out for the year, I think, buries it. Does it? Has it, He hasn't been good. Doesn't matter, though, because the good starts have been so good. He hasn't been good, but he's still casually second in the American League in strikeouts. That's still 200-plus strikeouts you got to replace. He was a guy who was taking the ball every five days. It hurts. They're done. That was a nail in the coffin. Central's where it's interesting. Uh, Twins, 79-51. Indians, three and a half back, 76-55. White Sox, Royals, and Tigers rounding out that division. Uh, So we'll go to the Indians real quick. Corey Kluber shut down through at least mid-September. They announced that last week. And Jose Ramirez is looking like he's done for the year. Uh, He had to leave Saturday's game against the Royals in the middle of the first inning after he injured his wrist on a swing. Uh, They said he had a right hamate bone fracture in his hand. My dad told me that's like right by your ligaments, so no good. Um, he started the season slowly, but in the past two months really turned it on, hitting 320, 346-80 with nine homers and 25 r- runs batted in in July. 321, 372, 705 with six homers and 20 ribbies this month. Basically, he's been a better version of the Ramirez who won the Silver Slugger and came in third in the MVP voting in 2018. All that said, if Kluber's gone... Uh, say Kluber's gone, Jose Ramirez is gone, and they don't know when they're going to get Carlos Carrasco back. Uh, do you think the A's are going to catch the Indians in the wild card, and do the Indians have any shot of catching the Twins? No and no, if that's if that makes sense. No, I, I agree. I think it's a real uphill battle for the Tribe right now. I mean, Jose Ramirez absolutely dominated that series at Yankee Stadium. Uh, he had like six RBIs in the first two innings one of the games. And we'll see. I just think the Twins are one of those teams that even though they've slumped, I think they're a team of destiny a little bit. I think the Rays are going to find a way in. And Oakland every year, it seems like, when they're they're a team where it's they're either in or they're out. There's no, not a lot of 82-83 win years, and I think Oakland's going to get it. With transitioning to the West, Astros 9.5 up, 85-47, and 47, A's 74-55. Uh, Rangers, Angels, and Mariners rounding out that division. Rangers and Angels are right around the playoff hunt come the All-Star break. Now they're both below 500. Uh, then going to the wild card, which we were just talking about. Indians are still half a game up on Tampa. And then the A's are half game back. Sox, six game back. Everyone else is in double digits. To me, I think it's looking more and more like it could be the Rays and the A's. But we'll see what happens going forward. I just think the biggest thing for the A's is they just want 6-1 and one against the Yankees and the Astros from the prior week into this week. They play well against good competition. I like Oakland in the wild card right now. Plus, Moneyball. Even though Moneyball is not what it used to be, you can never count out Billy Bean and crew. Uh, They're always down to find somebody on the chop block. Look at Homer Bailey. He was one of the worst pitchers in baseball with the Reds, and he's crushing it for the A's. Uh, Braves had their eight-game winning streak snapped today in the NL East, but they're still in first, 80-52. and Six games up on my surging Nats. I picked them at the beginning of the year. Never say die in the nation's capital, uh, especially when it comes to politics. 73 and 57, they're six out. Phillies, 11 and a half out, 67 and 62. Mets, 67 and 63, 12 out. I think, unfortunately, this was the weekend the Mets needed to make their move. Whether it was in the wild card of the division, they got swept by the Braves. They got help. They had help from around the league and, and couldn't win a single game. Couldn't win a game. I mean, now the Mets are, I mean, they're only two games out. And the NL Central is going to keep beating up on each other. Uh, so I do think there is a way in for the Mets. I just think it's going to come down to the Mets and the Phillies, who performs better down the stretch. And watching these Braves play, as good as the Dodgers are, the Braves, the pitching is okay. But Dallas Keiko went seven scoreless yesterday. And the lineup is so good that I think they could be a threat to the Dodgers. Uh, would you rather, as a fan, see, or as a Yankee fan, Take who we would play better against the side. Would you rather see a Yankees-Braves 90s rematch or the Yanks-Dodgers? I think the, the Dodgers. I, th- I think you want to you want to beat the best team. Obviously, you'd. it's sort of like as a fan, you want to obviously win, and you have the best chance to do that against an inferior team. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you're going to be in the World Series, you want to play the team with the best record. Um, the Dodgers, I believe, have the best record in the league. Definitely the best. Record. One up, one up on the Yanks and the Strohs. Yep. So you, you, like, you, and we can a hundred percent beat them in the World Series. There's no doubt about that. So I think that would be an electric series to watch. And it's two big market teams. It would be be pretty exciting. 
So the Cardinals have won 11 of their past 13. They are now surging in the first two and a half up on the Cubs. Uh, Brewers four and a half back, 67 and 63. Cubs 69 and 61. Reds 11 games back. Pirates 16 and a half. It's pretty interesting that if the season ended today, if you were to take out the Twins, which does have some great baseball history, I mean, the six division winners are baseball powerhouses. The Yanks, the Twins, I mean, the Strohs, not traditionally, but the past few years, Braves, Cardinals, Dodgers. Uh, if you're the commissioner and you're Major League Baseball, you can't ask for a much better playoff setup than that. Uh, especially if you throw in the Nats and Cubs in the a- NL and the Rays and Indians in the AL. I guess that's okay, but... The Mets are mixing it up and another team from New York. Mets, the Phillies, a lot of big yeah. market teams, which is great. Central, we've been saying it since April. It's going to be a battle to the end. I think it's going to just be a matter of those last two weeks in September, who gets hot. That's really the only take I have because I think it's such a crapshoot, this division. Yeah. Mm-hmm. West, Dodgers are 20 games up, 86 and 46, and their magic number to clinch the division is 12. They start uh, they start resting guys, you know, flopping a little bit here or, or throwing games here and there to You know, that's rest. where it's interesting because they're pretty far. They're only five games up for the Braves on the best record in the NL. I think for a team like the Dodgers, having home field advantage, not only in the NL but in the World Series, is huge. I think you don't want to go to New York. You don't want to go to Houston. Um, and vice versa, you don't want to go to Atlanta in the National League. You definitely don't want to go to St. Louis. So I don't know. I think maybe the last like two weeks of the year, but I think we're a little far off from them completely resting guys now. Uh, NL wild card, Nats hold a pretty solid four-game lead for the first spot. Cubs in second, shaping up what could be a Kyle Hendricks and Max Scherzer wild card game, but we'll see what happens. Phillies game and a half back, Brewers, Mets two, Giants four, D-backs four and a half. D-back 65 and 66. It's amazing. You can be very average in the NL and still conceivably be in it until the last few weeks of the year. Uh, must be a beautiful thing to be a National League baseball fan. Yeah. Who you got uh, making the National League wild card? I think the Nationals are a pretty strong lock for number one. I just think that team is too deep. And then for the second spot, I think it'll be interesting because the NL Central, like I said before, I think they're going to just beat up on each other. And I don't think, I mean, like, I think the Cubs are too talented to not miss the playoffs. But I think of all these teams, I don't think the Phillies necessarily have the pitching to get in. I think the Mets are really well positioned to make a run. They just got to not shoot themselves in the foot. Like, Friday against the— Think about what you just said. No, I know. Like, Friday against the Braves. I know the Braves are a great team, but DeGrom goes seven scoreless, strikes out 13, and hits a home run. You need to win that game. You cannot lose that game. Yeah. Cannot. We'll give a quick shout-out to DeGrom. He's one of our players of the week. Uh, he became and our fantasy team. He became the only pitcher with multiple games in a season with 13 strikeouts as a pitcher and a home run as a batter since 1893, the year the current mound distance was established. Which is insane. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. Other guys with some insane numbers, league leaders. Sorry, going back one second. Yeah. You don't think the Brewers got a shot? I just think as good as Yelich is, the pitching's not going to get it done. I think last year was a special year for them, but even then they had a little more pitching than they did this year. Uh, Wade Miley comes to mind. You know, he's crushing it for Houston right now. Um, they had Jimmy Nelson who got shoulder surgery. They're just they're a little banged up. And they never really did a ton to address the pitching to begin with. TJ LeMayu, for the first time in a long time, not leading the AL in hitting. That belongs to Michael Brantley of the Houston Astros, 338. McNeil still leading the NL at 333. I hope... Somehow the Indians end up playing the Astros in the playoffs, and Michael Brantley, batting champion, gets to give a huge fuck you to the Indians front office who led him by the wayside. Another move by the Astros where every guy they seems to sign turns to gold. AL home run leaders still trout 42 in the AL, Bellinger 42 in the NL. RBI leaders, Devers of the Red Sox 103 in the AL. Jose Abreu joined the 100 RBI club in the AL as well. NL RBI leaders, you got Freeman with 105 pacing the league. Rendon, 104. Josh Bell, 103. Eduardo Escobar of the D-backs, 101. Nolan Arnado with 100. Looking at all this here, I think my big takeaway is it's so interesting to me that the NL has so many 100 RBI hitters um, when there's no DH. It's crazy. Just interesting food for thought. Really means very little, but... Pitching side of things, Domingo Herman pacing the AL with 17 wins. Looking to become the first Yankee with 20 wins, I want to say since Moose's retirement year in 2008. 
It has been a little bit since yeah. we had a 20-game winner. Strasburg pacing the NL with 15. ERA leaders, Ryu's ERA is just at 2. Had been below 2 all year, and then the Yankees lit him up for 7 at home. He gave up more runs at Dodger Stadium Friday than he had the entire season at Dodger Stadium. Wow. Go Yanks, baby. Garrett Cole and Verlander, teammates battling for the Cy Young. Cole's first in the AL and ERA, 2.75, but Verlander is right behind with 2.77. Uh, Roldis Chapman, 35 saves leading the AL. Kirby Yates, 37 NL. And Trout and Bellinger leading the league in war. Nothing new there. No. It's just very interesting to see. I, I think, one, ERAs are starting to stabilize a little bit uh, once the dog days of the summer are coming around. But, two, I mean, the four and five in the AL, I know offense is up, but to have their four and fifth, fourth and fifth ranked pitchers in ERA, both have ERAs above 313 is very interesting. And for what it's worth in the NL, that would rank 11th. And that does make sense. Fourth versus 11th. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, A couple more shout-outs for players of the week. First one goes to Mets pitchers who have a higher batting average this year than White Sox designated hitters. Oh. Really ugly. That hurts. Uh, Albert Pujols, not known for being fleet-footed, even when he was a superstar, but now especially with injuries and old age. All that said, though, he this past week stole a base for the 19th consecutive season. Awesome. Really doesn't mean a lot in the scheme of things, but as a slow guy, I can appreciate that. Uh, Mike Trout, I just wanted to point out, we talk about Trout every week, but there was this graphic that based on Fangraph's version of war in the American League, the difference between him and Xander Bogarts, who was in second place in the AL in war, is the same between Bogarts and Jonathan Villar, who is 25th in the American League. He's so by far the best player in baseball. Defies logic to stuff yeah. like that. Uh, the Kraken, Gary Sanchez, over the weekend in 355 games, became the quickest catcher to ever hit 100 home runs, passing Mike Piazza's 422. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is Yankee fans can complain about his average and this and that, but the defense has been much improved this year. Especially his, excluding the first couple weeks of the season where he was So really evident. Bad. And the guy's going to hit 35 homers while missing 40 games. Yep. Cut the guys some slack. Absolutely. George Springer of the Strohs, uh, he cooled down a little bit after a pretty scorching first half, but he's the sixth different player in MLB history to hit at least 10 leadoff homers in a season. He reached that mark in the Astros' 127th game. The only player in MLB history to reach 10 leadoff homers in fewer team games is Bobby Bonds in 1973. I got a lot of players listed here, but I'm going to just hit some big name ones. Yeah. Uh, Bo Bichette. On my other fantasy team, not the one with us. Uh, he's a rookie with the Blue Jays, absolutely crushing it. Uh, he became the one, two, three, four, fifth, the seventh player ever to hit multiple home runs in a game off of Clayton Kershaw, uh, joining Jose Reyes, Jay Bruce, Jason Worth, Carlos Gonzalez, and Adam Dunn. So sixth. I can't even count. That's crazy because the other five guys are not very good. I mean, Reyes was an all-star. When did, when did he hit it off? I think he hit it off... Kershaw, like, recently. Reyes? Like, his last season playing... I mean, Worth. All these guys were all-stars at one point. At one point. Well, we don't know when they hit him. I I feel like them in their prime probably weren't. Because them in their prime is also him in his prime. That's fair. Uh, Shout-out to Nelson Cruz. One of baseball's, I would say, most forgotten steroid users, but also most forgotten sluggers. He has four games since the All-Star break with 10 total bases. Yelich and Xander Bogarts are the only players with two all season. And his 858 second half slugging would be the second best ever after Barry Bonds' 2001 season, which is when Bonds had 73 homers. Just to put into perspective how locked in Nelson Cruz has been. Uh, the Twins and Astros rank 1-2 in the majors in OPS and are in the top five in runs. Lucas Giolito has now shut them both out this season on the road. He had a 12-strikeout, zero-walk shutout against the Twins. Him and Shane Bieber are the only pitchers with multiple shutouts in 2019. That's Spectre's boy, and it just goes to show Giolito had the worst-ranked ERA in all of baseball amongst qualified starters. What a difference a year makes. Uh, Verlander joined Chris Sale, Randy Johnson, Nolan Ryan, and Pedro Martinez as the only pitchers with seven straight starts with 10 strikeouts. Pretty impressive. And his teammate Garrett Cole, to follow it up, has 14 games a season with at least 10 strikeouts and seven innings pitched or fewer. That is the most by any pitcher in a single season in the modern era since 1900. 
Another stud pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, uh, he hit a couple milestones this week. So his 166 wins are the most ever by a Dodger lefty passing the great Sandy Koufax. Uh, he now joins Randy Johnson, Chris Sale, Clemens, Pedro, and Schilling as the only pitchers in history to reach double-digit strikeout games with at least a dozen strikeouts and no walks allowed. Um, and in 23 starts this year, to me, this is the most impressive. You talk about bullpenning this or that. He's gone six-plus innings in every start this year. Bulldog. So, yeah. Anyone who said that Kershaw was done, moron. Yeah, I mean, he's blatantly not done. It was Glaber Day in the Bronx this week. It was the second game this year. He went 4-4 four for four with two homers. The only player in Yankees history to do that was Lou Gehrig in 1934 in a season. And he's the second Yankee to hit 30 home runs in his age 22 season or younger, joining the great Joe DiMaggio. And one a little love for former Yankee, the Cisco kid, Francisco <laughs> Cervelli, after being released by the Pirates. Uh, in his first game with the Braves, he delivered a two-run double in his first at-bat since May in a rally in the second inning against Zach Wheeler. He then added a single in the fourth, an RBI double in the ninth, and nailed Ahmed Rosario stealing in the seventh. Good to have Cervelli back playing baseball. And this isn't a player of the week thing. This is just an interesting stat I thought we needed to point out. Today, or this week, was the first time since July 14th that no MLB player had a multi-homer game. It ends a streak of 37 consecutive days with at least one player having a multi-homer game, the longest in MLB history. Wow. But the balls aren't juiced. Yeah, absolutely not. Nope. Balls are not juiced. All right. So this weekend, one of the most polarizing things in baseball was Players Weekend. Uh, the... Teams either wore white jerseys if they were home, black jerseys if they were on the road. This is specifically got a ton of crap during the Yankees-Dodgers. Yankees and Dodgers play each other every three, four years. Probably the two most storied franchises in baseball. Why they weren't wearing their own jerseys is mind-blowing. Why did, why did the players' weekend jerseys have to be the most hideous things I've ever seen in my entire life? So not only, was that, so not only was that terrible, um, but if you looked in the field, you really couldn't distinguish the players wearing black from the umpires. The pitchers of the home teams wearing white had to wear a different colored hat um, because it couldn't blend in with the ball, so they couldn't wear white hats. They had to wear their home team caps. Uh, Tyler Wade yesterday, his silver bat was deemed too silver to use. Um, just the whole thing was pretty ridiculous. The dumbest, it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But that said, I want to throw out some great nicknames uh, from across baseball. Paul Fry of the Orioles, Papa Frito. Nice. I like that. Uh, you ever see a night at the Roxbury? Yes. Emilio Pagan with Emilio! Uh, Zach Britton. Most people don't know if it's Zach with a K or Zach with an H. So his jersey said with a K. Nice. Uh, and he had a bunch of strikeouts yesterday, which was nice. Uh, Jason Kipnis's was Dirtbag. <laughs> Scott Barlow was Scoots McGoots. I like that one. Tyler Duffy of the Twins, the Doof. <laughs> <laughs> Evan Marshall of the White Sox, his was Forgetting Sarah. As in nice. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Nice. Uh, let's see what else we got. Any good ones? Liam Hendricks is Australian and he throws a slider, so we put Slider. Because I guess that's how you say it in Australia. Yeah, that is. Ariel Jurado of the Rangers, his nickname is Little Bartolo. Uh, so he is now Bartolito. That's an oxymoron if I've ever heard one. <laughs> uh, Jerry Blevins got Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Jeff McNeil of the Mets, Flying Squirrel. Uh, Sean Doolittle got Obi Sean. Nice. Eric Thames, his initials are ET, so he got Phone Home. Felipe Vasquez, his nickname is Nightmare. He got Nightmare. Archie Bradley, <laughs> Crash Landing. Uh, Rich Hill couldn't get Dick Mountain, so Ross, <laughs> Ross Stripling got Chicken Strip. Uh, Kirby Yates, his dog's nickname is Chubb, so he got Chubb Sr. And the last one we'll do is Charlie Blackman, Chuck Nasty, but with a Z. Nice. So some solid nicknames, but I think this is a great concept. Yeah. Can't do white and black jerseys. No. And I think especially, the whole point of this is to move merchandise. You're never going to move merchandise with those jerseys. No, they're hideous. They look like if you're like, they're, they, they look like if you're playing NBA 2K and it's like the like. They look like WNBA jerseys. It's like the summer league, like they couldn't figure out what the real jerseys were going to look like in advance. So they just did plain white, plain, plain black. Picked so. out, it's like they picked out of a hat. Yeah. Unbelievable with that. Uh, two guys who did big things this week in the NL East, Pete Alonso and Ronald Acuna. 
Pete for the Mets crushed a go-ahead three-run homer in the fifth inning of Saturday night's game against the Braves, his 41st of the year, which tied the Mets' single-season home run record held by Todd Hundley in 96 and Beltran in 2006. The Mets are playing their 130th game of the season, so Alonso has 32 more games to which to add to his turtle. Turtle, jeez. Total. Wow. That's a uh, real bad slip of words there. Uh, He also has 100 ribbies and is on pace for 51 homers, so hats off to Pete. I'd like to see him go after Judge's rookie record of 52. I don't want him to break it, but it'll make for a compelling media story if nothing else. Yeah, get close. Don't break it down. 21-year-old outfield sensation for the Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr., nabbed this 30th stolen base of the season Friday, becoming the second youngest player in MLB history to have a 30-30 year other than Mike Trout. Per MLB stats, um, Acuna's... I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm reading my notes wrong. Point being, Acuna joined Mike Trout, second youngest 30-30 player ever. Uh, he's got 36 homers and 30 steals, so a 40-40 year isn't out of the question, but it's very unlikely. But would be awesome. Would be incredible. Then I think he has to actually be in the MVP discussion. Because yeah. if he goes 40-40 and the Braves win 95 games, he's the MVP in my mind. AL East team sent some home run records, some good, some bad. Uh, for the Orioles, the third inning home run by Austin Meadows off of Astor Wojciechowski on Thursday marched, marked the 259th home run Orioles pitching has allowed this season, setting a new major league record. The previous record was sold by the 2016 Reds at 258. Uh, from there, 260 was hit by Willie Adames later in the game. Uh, and the Yankees have famously accounted for 23.5% or 61 of those 260 home runs. So, pretty amazing. And Glaber has like half those. Yes. And with DJ LeMayu's leadoff home run against Clayton Kershaw yesterday, the Yankees set the all-time record for home runs in a single month with 59, and then added 60-61 and 61 with Aaron Judge and Mike Ford's homers later in the game. The previous record of 58 was held by the 87 Orioles, who did it in 28 games in May, and the 99 Mariners who did it in 27 games of May of that year. The ball's flying, and the Yankees like to mash, and there's just something about Mike Ford hitting a homer off of Clayton Kershaw that just makes me smile. I love Mike Ford. He's hilarious. So this was a really interesting port, and I guess these are some larger world baseball issues, so we'll kind of just plow through them and get some rapid reactions. Jeff Passan had this whole memo that came out uh, warning about the very real risk of over-the-counter sexual enhancement pills uh, and PEDs after at least two players this year were suspended for PEDs and said the banned substances found in their urine came from the unregulated products. The use of over-the-counter pills, which are often sold at gas stations, is prevalent among baseball players, according to multiple sources, and prompted the league to send out a memo Monday that outlines the risk of consuming non-certified supplements. I mean, baseball players are the weirdest guys ever. They must be, them and truck drivers got to be the only people buying these. So I have a couple of thoughts on this. One, get Viagra if you can't get it up. And my other thought is if you can hit a 400-foot homer but you can't get an erection, there's something that doesn't check out there in my mind. Yeah, you're probably on steroids. I can't hit a softball at 250 feet. I get plenty of erections every day. Yeah, plenty. Uh, The most random crap. Uh Uh-huh. So maybe they're on steroids, but the fact that this is so prevalent that the MLB had to send a memo out... It's hilarious. It's really funny. Absolutely insane. Uh, Jeff Samarja, on a more serious note, he had an interesting thought, but he reached 10 years of service time, which he now gets 10 and 5 rights, gets to control his career a little bit more. Uh, But he pretty much said in the next CBA, you know, we need to make sure when these players have options, and the Yanks have manipulated this year. We've sent Talkman down, Holder, you know, all these guys who have options, you send them down. But there needs to be something in the next CBA that pretty much says whether it's a performance thing whatever it is you can't send these guys because you manipulate service time where it could cost them millions of dollars down the years uh throughout the years this is a little different to me than say a team not promoting chris bryan out of spring training or someone who's deserving and this will be interesting because i don't know if there is anything you can do about this uh but the owners clearly have the edge here in terms of manipulating how much players are going to get paid how much time they spend on the active roster Anything you think they can do to curb this a little bit from the players' association I, side? I don't. I don't know if there's anything you can do aside from getting rid of that rule, but it is kind of stupid that you can send a guy down or wait to bring him up, uh, a player who's deserving of being in the major leagues, so that you can, you know, get an extra year of control and pay them less. That's like counterintuitive and not the point. If there's a player on your team or in your in your organization that's worthy of being in the in the in the majors, then they should be on the major league team. It's, it's kind of silly to me that this is even a rule to begin with. Like, I get that there are situations where, you know, you bring a guy up for a game or two, and maybe that shouldn't count. But aside from that, 
No, if you're if you're starting for the the major league team, you should that should that should count in my eyes. Do you think it's worthwhile? And again, I think it's hard because it's arbitrary in terms of performance. But maybe for a hitter, they have to spend at least five games on the active roster before getting sent down. And for a pitcher, it has to be three games. The, that may work. The problem is there. You, I mean, it's still leaves the door open for manipulation to a certain extent. Obviously, way less. Five games is nothing for a hitter. Three games for a pitcher is, you know, unless you're. It's really for a starter. That's fifteen. Um, so maybe. you'd I don't know the, the way to do it. It is kind of an arbitrary, an arbitrary. You pick a certain amount of time, but it does leave the door open to still manipulate to a certain extent. So I, we, I personally think it's the dumbest thing in the world that like these these teams that have literally a gazillion dollars are like penny pinching on on twenty one, twenty two, twenty year olds. It's like crazy. One interesting thing that I read would kind of be like uh, in the NHL or even the NBA where you have a Say a twenty-five man active roster, but you have a thirty-man roster at all times, and you could scratch guys before a game. Yeah, but if you're the, the difference in that in that is those leagues. If you're a healthy scratch in hockey, or if you're not dressed on the bench, you're still on the major league team. Like it's not going to prevent you from getting your big contract when you should. It doesn't push it off a year. You don't make any less money. So at that point, you might as well play. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just with baseball, there's the most money to be made. Right. I think that's what it comes down to. And even though you do wait the longest to hit free agency, if you're good, you're going to break the bank in arbitration. Like Mookie Betts this year is going to get $30, 35000000 million Whatever on a one-year deal. Yeah. yeah. So another guy like Mookie. But, the, but there's only you know very few Mookie Betts. Correct. The superstar. Are, yeah. Very few players get the superstar And a lot treatment. of them are going to, again, assign an extension before they get to arbitration anyway. One guy who did get the superstar treatment very controversially in Houston was Justin Verlander, uh, where this week the Astros knowingly violated the MLB CBA, which is designed to protect baseball players, when the franchise blocked Detroit Free Press writer Anthony French from entering the clubhouse with the Houston media on Wednesday night. Justin Verlander, arguably the greatest pitcher in Tigers history and the Astros' ace, refused to talk to any reporters with Fenich uh, present. Uh, players have no obligation to talk to media members in a post-game scrum. They can ignore questions or give non-answers, but the league says reporters must have equal access. Basically, this all happened from when Fenich was with the was co- covering the Tigers and Verlander was still with Detroit. Uh, the two main things were uh, what Verlander described to be unethical behavior. One was him eavesdropping on a conversation between Verlander and K-Line uh, where they talked about Verlander pretty much wanting to nature watch and see the solar eclipse. Uh, and Verlander was like, well, that was a private conversation. That's not cool. Uh, the other big one is... Verlander told Fenich, you should stop in response to a question about an altercation between him and teammate Victor Martinez after a brawl with the Yankees on August 24th. Uh, when Fenich asked a follow-up question, Verlander straight left. Uh, and then the big one was, Fenich was signed to ask Verlander about a Bleacher Report story published August 9, 2018, in which Verlander said the Tigers misdiagnosed an injury. The Free Press was the first Detroit media outlet to ask Verlander about the comments. Verlander was not happy with how it was reported. Um... Verlander's exact comment was, I declined to speak with the free press last night because of uh, his unethical behavior in the past. I reached out to the free press multiple times before the game to notify them why and to give them an opportunity to have someone else there and they didn't answer. Chris Thomas, who runs the free press, said, hey, Justin Verlander, I would like to know who you contacted about telling your side of the story. My reporter has not heard from you directly, nor have I. My email is listed on the article we published last night. I am more than happy to speak with you about it. Uh, The MLB said... Per our club media regulations, the reporter should have been allowed to enter the clubhouse post-game at the same time as other members of the media. Uh, the BBWA basically said, this needs to be acted upon because this is bullshit. They'll get a fine. I, I actually love that from the team. They know their player doesn't want to talk to the guy. They're t- protecting him, making taking any of the attention, or the attempt was, don't make Verlander look like the bad guy when... The guy comes and asks him a question. He doesn't need to say a single word. See, to me, this is the worst look an Astros can have. Uh, I think not only are you babying a superstar, uh, I, I just think you're literally violating the CBA. Yeah. I just think there's. I think the way to do it would have been just have Verlander not answer the question. This guy knows Verlander doesn't like him, but Verlander's not breaking any rules that way. This, to me, was blown up into a huge story and was something when it could have been nothing. I think it would have been a story if Verlander sits there and doesn't speak and the guy asks him questions. And he just sits there with his mouth shut. And rather than have Verlander look like a dick, for lack of a better word, they're going to just you know own it. It's going to reflect poorly on the team, and they'll move on. They'll pay whatever fine to the league that they 
deem is, is necessary. It won't be more than that. It probably won't be very much. I, I mean, I agree. I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other. It's kind of just, like, dumb ego stuff. But if you want your players to feel like the team has their back, this is, you know, this is kind of a cool thing. I agree. I think it's maybe good only if you were in the Astros locker room, but yeah. I think it's a really bad look for the team itself. Yeah, but I'm sure they don't care much about that. They're having a great year. They want to keep the mojo going. They don't want to, you know, have their, I just think have Verlander, their best player. I just think them. Verlander comes off as a giant pussy. Yeah. yeah I, and he, he would have probably come off as a bigger one had he just sat there and not opened his mouth to, like, a question about, you know, what he thought about the game that day. Yeah, I think it's made worse by the fact that it seems like he's lying about reaching out to the paper, and the paper called him out on his bullshit very quickly. Yeah, but had he reached out, they could have still said that. You know, you don't really know necessarily if if the editor of the paper comes out and says, yeah, we didn't hear from you, he can say, yeah, I did. I, I reached out to whoever. Joe Schmuck. I had my agent reach out. To speak yeah. to my agent. Like, you know, these super high-paid professional athletes don't need to do stuff like that from, for themselves, I'm sure. Had, whether he reached out or not, we won't know, but had he actually reached out, I'm sure it didn't come from him directly anyway. Yeah, so two interesting notes from Latin America. Uh, one, former major leaguers Octavio Dotel and Luis Castillo were arrested in the DR as part of a major drug trafficking investigation, the country's eternal attorney general announced Tuesday. I'm not going to go into the details here, but this is just such an interesting thing to see. These two guys, of all people, back in the news. Uh, Castillo... As good of a career as he had, won a World Series, I will always remember him as the one who dropped the ball against mm-hmm. the Yankees. Uh, and Dotel, as much as he was known for playing for so many teams, uh, at the time of his retirement, he had the highest strikeout per nine inning rate in the history of baseball for right-handers with 900 innings, uh, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, they're idiots. Like, absolute morons. It sounds like they're innocent. They're pleading innocent. Um, and the guy they're associated with is apparently the guy who put the hit out on David Ortiz. Oh, so I didn't some see that. crazy news coming out of Latin America. Uh, another one is MLB banned players from playing in Venezuela uh, in the Winter League. This goes in accordance with Trump. I'm not going to go into politics, this or that, but my two questions are one, do you think this is going to hurt? How much do you think this is going to hurt the pipeline from Venezuela to America? Do you think this could get to the point where it's with Cuba, like how it is with Cuba? Zero. We the the best Cuban players still make their way to the to the MLB. It's much more difficult. Venezuelan kids who are really good at baseball want to play in the MLB. They don't want to play in the Venezuelan league. Acuna, Altuve, Glaber, and Wilson Contreras. They've they've got those are four of the ninety five Venezuelan born players who made log major league time this season. They're really good, and they're not going to go back to Venezuela and throw away whatever paycheck they're owed. I think the guys who get it the worst of all this, honestly, is minor leaguers who were supplementing their crappy income by playing in winter leagues, where now not only do they get to not work on their skills, they're also out, not a ton, but probably like ten grand in the winter, which doesn't seem like a lot for some of these major league players, but for a minor league player, that oh, like yeah, allows them to put over the poverty line. Right. Yeah, but the people who make decisions don't care about those guys. It, the decisions haven't been made considering them, and they're like, it doesn't matter. Two fun facts to end the show. One, the Red Sox won a game in 12 minutes this week. Um, the Royals lost to the Orioles Wednesday, flew to Boston to play the Red Sox, and then played a full 12 minutes, making up an August 7th suspended game, which was tied 4-4 in the bottom of the 10th. That's pretty funny to me, 12 minutes. Uh, and the Red Sox were cool. They wisely made a fun day out of it by allowing anyone 18 or under to attend the game for free, and all others were allowed to enter for a $5 donation to the Jimmy Fund. Awesome. Sodas and hot dogs for a dollar. Kids were allowed to run the bases. So Sweet. Good for the Red Sox. I you don't know, say this aloud. You know who was uh, probably pretty annoyed about that was the grounds crew who had to come in probably way before the game, get the field ready for 12 minutes of baseball. Well, the Red Sox were going on a road trip the next day. So they at least... They didn't have to clean up. I guess. Maybe. They probably still did. And the last note, uh, the Astros, aside from the Verlander, were also made very bad in the media uh, by being significant favorites over the Tigers on Wednesday night. Verlander got the start for the Astros and entered the game with double-digit strikeouts in six straight outings. He made it seven in that start. Uh, and the Tigers entered the worst team in the majors on pace for the second-worst record in franchise history and lost 8-10. to Vegas had the 81-win Astros as a minus 560 money line at Caesars and a whopping minus 600 at MGM and FanDuel. And Detroit was a plus 435 underdog, and they won. Awesome. Which beats the record... Um, of minus 460 of 10 days ago where the Orioles were 
plus 460 dogs. Did you say the Tigers have a worse record than the Orioles? Yes, they're casually how, the worst team in baseball. How is that possible? Excuse me, I'm going to retract my previous comment. The Orioles were big dogs, um, but the Astros were minus 460 favorites. Got it. Uh, so pretty crazy. The Astros have probably cost people a lot of money, and one fans who just said, eh, screw it, let me throw 10 bucks. A lot of money. Yeah. All right, so you're gearing up for a wedding this week. Yes, sir. To Matt Cochin, one of my former counselors and Sam's cousin. Coach Z, congratulations. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing good things about your wedding. Anything else good on tap for this week? Um, two weeks out from Canes, North Carolina. We're going to absolutely snot them. Heard it here first. That's Looking- all I got. Cool. I got my college roommate in town this week, Matty Moe. Excited to see you. And Friday, I'm getting my fourth Yankee head of the Yankee bobblehead of the season. Yanks, A's, Labor Tours, bobblehead day. Hopefully, we get a little revenge in the Bronx. Do you just go to Yankee games for the free stuff? No. I go because I like the team. But I try to plan it around promotions. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. If you're going to pay for the tickets anyway, why not get something in return? Lord knows I give them way more of my <laughs> salary than I'd like to admit. Very fair. On that note, with Sam Beck, my name is Chase Minorski, and this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. Mm-hmm.